I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there's one in the pew rack in front of you there. Um, shouldn't be that hard to find in the New Testament. Kind of go towards the middle or go forward a little bit, and you'll run across it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have been working our way through uh, the book of John. It's been a few months, and we're into chapter 5, and there's only 16 more to go after this one. So, um, And we, we have this theme as we go through, life in Jesus, the Son of God. And last week, we looked at this passage here uh, where Jesus, uh, after he had healed the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, and, and after the, the religious leaders of Israel had um, began to persecute him because he had healed on the Sabbath. We looked at this declaration of Jesus' deity that he makes to these men and to, to others who are there, um, talking about that, that he and God are, are the same because he is the Son of God, he is God himself. And, and, and so then the persecution ramped up a little more because now Jesus is, is claiming equality with God. We looked at the equality of the Son with the Father. And at the end of that passage, or, or as we got towards the end there, Jesus is showing uh, the power that he possesses as God, the power over life, the power to judge others. And so he's going to continue in, this, in these statements today and in this, this, um, this dialogue here um, that he's having. And, and really, I say dialogue, it's more of, of Jesus uh, giving a, a speech, a monologue of these things, of who he is. There's not a lot of response we see here. Because there is no response we can give to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What he says is true. And so today we see in this passage what Jesus talks about. He talks about the two resurrections that are coming that will take place. In John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, follow along as we read there. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have over the next few minutes to open your word, to study it together today. And we ask that during this time you would quiet our hearts. You would still our minds where there are probably a million different things that we have to do and think about on any given day. Lord, we just ask that, that over the next few minutes you would help us to put these things aside and hear from you today through your word. We ask that you would use your word in a powerful way in our hearts today. Your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray for one who may hear these things today who has wrestled with eternity, who is not really sure what it means to have a relationship with you, or maybe they've gone back and forth on what that means, that you would use these things in a powerful way today. You would make yourself clear and known to them. Lord, to Christians today, you would use these things to encourage our hearts as we look towards eternity with you, and that you would challenge our hearts on how we live and how we reach out to the world around us. We just pray that we would walk out of this place different than we came in today because we have heard your truth proclaimed and you have applied it to our lives. your name we pray. Amen. Over the years, the millennia, 
it has become obvious that, that mankind has questions about life after death. And, and specifically, mankind wishes to know, one of, one of the things mankind wishes to know is, is it possible to live on past the time of your death, or is that it? And if you look throughout history and in the world we live in, preoccupations with things such as the fountain of youth or the, the field of cryogenics will, will prove to you that, that, that people have this question, that we as a human race have this innate desire and question that, that, that can we extend our lives and, or can we take our lives up again once our time on earth is up. And the scriptures are very clear. God is very clear in his word that the, the, the answer to this question about life after death is this. You will live somewhere forever. The moment you pass from this earth and are consciously and individually in either heaven or hell, that, that, that is your eternity. But one day, there is a coming resurrection of your physical body. And this resurrection precedes the final and full judgment of your life. And, and this is rooted in the power of God. God holds the keys of life and is therefore held by Jesus who is God. And as, as Jesus continues in this passage before us that we began looking at last week, and he's expounding on who he is and what he will do, we see he talks here about two coming resurrections that will take place, a resurrection into eternal life and a resurrection into eternal condemnation. And what we see in this passage is that because Jesus owns all authority over life, I will one day stand before him to receive eternal judgment. And that is a fact that we must come to understand, first of all, in the statement, is that, that Jesus, as God, owns all authority over life. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is our creator. He, is, he has come as our redeemer. He is our king. And you and I must recognize that, that we are not in control of these things. We are very dependent creatures. But God is not dependent. He is self-existent. And so Jesus owns all authority over life. And because he has owned all authority over life, because he is the creator, because he is the one who, whom God the Father has set up in judgment, we'll talk about that in the passage today, we will stand before him individually to give an account for our lives. And we see these things here today. And so just a couple of things we see in this passage as we work towards what Jesus is talking about in these resurrections. Let's look first of all at verses 25 through 27. And what you see Jesus speaking of here is the surety of life that is found in him. He says, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus says there is a reality of resurrection that is coming. So here Jesus has been speaking to these opponents, to these religious leaders who have been, begun to persecute him, and, and we don't get any feedback here, so, so we assume probably that there's no interruptions or disputes to his proofs of deity. Jesus is now continuing on in his response to the religious leaders of Israel because they began to persecute him and seek his death on account of his breaking of the Sabbath, and now he's declared who he is, that he is God, and that brought on greater persecution. It solidified the hearts of those who were seeking his death. And then he gave this incredible testimony of himself and the power he has as God over life and judgment. These are given to him as God himself. That God the Father has specifically committed to God the Son 
the task of judging mankind. And, and we went a little bit into that last week about how there are three persons but only one God. And they act in different roles. And with the clear view put before the religious leaders and us that Jesus is God and therefore has all power and all the privileges as God, Jesus continues in describing his power and the right to judgment he has. And he begins here again in verse 25 with this phrase you have before you as most assuredly, or perhaps you have truly, truly, or verily, verily. And and again, this is a phrase that's only used by John here in the New Testament. He uses it 20 times in his gospel. And it's a a phrase uh, that carries this idea of this is an established fact. This is going to happen. This is what is true. You can count on it. And here Jesus says this, this is what is, is happening, he tells us that there's a surety of life to come that is in part fulfilled now. Notice what Jesus said, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. Another way to say that, maybe in, in, in a better way to help us understand it, is that, that something is already but not yet. There's something that's going on here, but the complete fulfillment hasn't come yet. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There is... Uh, some of some, there is Jesus is already doing an amazing work of resurrection, but it is a work that is not completed in full. You see, in the life we live now, there is a reality of life in Jesus Christ, both here and to come. The reality that we live in now, the already part of the hour is coming, that when he says, and now is, the, the reality for now is this that Jesus gives spiritual life to all who come to him. The scriptures are clear. You read them from beginning to end. You come across this. You cannot get away from it that you and I are born with a problem. And that problem is sin. We do things. We think things. We say things that, are, that go against God. They disobey God and his word and, and who he is. And because of our sin, we have within us no spiritual life. Jesus came, though, to offer us life. And you and I have to understand this. We can do nothing in and of ourselves to try to awaken some sort of spiritual life. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. Just as someone who has died physically cannot bring themselves back to life, neither can a spiritually dead soul give himself life through his works, through penance, or any other human effort. Paul would write to the Ephesians later on about salvation that they experienced in Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and verses 5 through 6, he said this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He continues in verse 5, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus came as the author of spiritual life. And those who come to him find this life in him. And after Jesus spoke these things here, much a couple years later, after he ascended back into heaven after the resurrection, there was the day of Pentecost you read about in the book of Acts. At the day of Pentecost, there was the coming of the Holy Spirit, and, and that was a, another step forward in, in, in the spiritual life, because now, in the age we live in, in the church age, all those who know Jesus Christ as Savior have within them the Holy Spirit living within them. And through him, hearts are regenerated. And the power to do what is right is given from within. 
But we must realize that if you and I do not know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, we are spiritually dead. You are insensible to the things of God. And you may live a life that's unfulfilled. You may live a life that's searching for answers. You may live a life of attempting to improve yourself. But you are dead in sin, and you are quite content to engage in that sin because it's what you know. It's the life that you've always known. You need the life-giving power of Jesus to make you whole, to give you life, and give you hope. He is the source of life. That's the already part of the statement. That's the, the hour is coming and now is. But let's go back to that first part of what Jesus said. The hour is coming, or we might say, but not yet. There is that part of the statement as well. That one day, Jesus is returning to give physical life again. He says here at the end of verse 25, When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. One day, Jesus is returning to to bring the power of physical resurrection to all. You and I, when we die, we do not face annihilation You and I, when we die, we face accountability. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that that there will be a reckoning. There will be a a bodily reckoning of all people. And you say, well, what is it that brings about this resurrection? Jesus said it himself. He will command that resurrection to happen. Go back a couple weeks ago. We looked at this, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And the man who couldn't walk, he had an infirmity for 38 years. And he couldn't walk. He couldn't do these things. And Jesus looked at him and said, rise Take up your your mat, take up your bed, and walk. Three commands. How? Because he's God and he can do that. And with the same power and the same authority that he healed that man, this is the same power and authority that he's going to, to call us back to physical life. You have an eternal destiny. And that destiny is based on the decisions that you make in this life. And one day, Jesus will give life to all humans that they may enter that eternity for completely. Jesus does this because he has the power of resurrection. He is life itself. Not only is, do we see here the surety or the reality of resurrection, we see secondly in these verses the power of resurrection in Jesus. He continues in verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself... So he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Jesus states here his most unique and sure qualifications to give life to all because he is life itself without equal and without source. The basic premise is this. You cannot give something to someone else that you do not possess yourself. You know, if you came up today to me after church today and said, listen, one of my New Year's resolutions is I want to learn a new instrument. And so I would like to meet with you tomorrow and take a violin lesson. I would look at you and I would say, no, we're not having a violin lesson tomorrow. Well, why not? Are you some kind of miser who doesn't want to spend time? No, I don't play the violin. <laughs> I don't, I've never played the violin a day in my life. Trust me, okay? It's, it's like killing a cat or something, okay? 
But should you go up to church, go up after church if you lived where my sister lives and you, and you spoke to her and asked her for that, she'd be delighted to set up a time and teach how to play the violin. You know why? Because for most of her life, she's played the violin. She's a violin teacher. She's a strings teacher in a, in a, in a school. She has the ability, she has the, the, the talent and the training to impart to you the things that she has learned. We cannot give someone that which we do not have. You and I do not possess in and of ourselves spiritual life. Therefore, we cannot give it to anyone else. Jesus possesses all life. Therefore, he is the power of resurrection. Furthermore, he is life itself. You and I are not this way. You and I are here today because of someone else. You are alive today because you had a living father and a living mother who, through the grace of God, gave you life. And as one author said it, on this earth, there can be no life without antecedent life. It's like the old scientific study that if your parents didn't have kids, it's a good chance you won't either, okay? <laughs> you and I cannot create life in ourselves. We have, we have someone who came before us. We have a father and we have a mother. This is not true about God, and therefore it's not true about Jesus, who is God. We are innately finite and dependent. Therefore, it's hard for us even to fathom that someone is not dependent on anyone else for life. But Jesus is not dependent. He is self-existent. As God, he has always existed from eternity past. And whenever I think about that, I think, you know, that's probably where our brains kind of explode a little bit, right? Because... If you've been in church, you've thought about the things of God, you've read the scriptures, you get this idea that we're going to live somewhere forever, but we still had a point at which we began, right? You celebrate that every year. Well, some of us celebrate that every year on the birthday. Some of you have just forgotten about it because, anyway. And, and we get this idea that, hey, I'm going to die physically, but I'm going to continue to live on somewhere and forever. I don't really understand Forever, because some, things always have an endpoint. But I, okay, kind of. Now take that and shoot it back the other way into ever, forever, and that's where our brains, right? Because God, that's how God is. He has always been. He always is, and he he always will be. You and I say things like "I was," or "I am," or "I will be" when we're referring. To things that we do, but God does not express himself like that at all. God says, I am, I am, I am. Because he has always existed and he always will. The Father and the Son are both like this for they're the same God. Jesus has always been and always will be. He depends on no one for life. And he never will depend on anyone for life. So therefore, he has the only power of resurrection. My friend, if you're looking to a religion to give you spiritual life, you won't find it. If you're looking to a human being to impart some kind of pardon upon your life and therefore give life to your soul, you won't find it. And if you're hoping that your deeds or contributions will revive some spark in your soul that will ignite life everlasting, it won't happen because the only source is God and our only hope is Jesus. Jesus. 
This is what John is all about. This is what the entire book of John revolves around. That there is life in Jesus, the Son of God. And therefore, because Jesus is God, and thus he has the power of resurrection as God, he has all authority from God. Look here lastly in in verse 27 and see the authority of Jesus in these things. He says, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Here again is a great and marvelous truth within the Godhead that, that though there are three persons and one God, there is also a divine order to these things. The Son is submissive to the will of the Father. The Son is given certain things in his role to do by the Father. And here again we see the authority of the Son to act as judge over all. The Father has given the Son the, 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 the authority to judge all men. And can we just step back and look at the Scriptures and say that, that Jesus, as the Son of God, is the one who is uniquely qualified to be the judge of all? Because He came as God in flesh. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is our unique high priest because he is God and man, and as such has experienced everything we experience. He even endured the fullest temptation of sin, taking on everything that Satan hurled at him, yet because he is God, he did not sin. He instead endured these things for us. And because of this, he is the only one qualified to be our judge. For not only is he one of us, but he is also not like us, for he is eternal God. He is truly the Son of Man. That's a title you read throughout the Gospels that Jesus refers to himself. Most often, that is the title Jesus refers to himself by, is the Son of Man. And perhaps you've wondered what that means. Perhaps you think, well, does that talk about that he's a human as well as, as, as God? And it's not just a mere reference to his humanity. It is a fulfillment of a prophecy that you find in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we read this. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. I am the one who will reign. He is the God-man who entered fully into humanity, experienced all we experience, and now stands as our righteous judge, but yet he is God at the same time. Therefore, though he is like us in his humanity, he is not like us in his deity. There can be no other. And my friend, we should want no other. Jesus then is the surety of life. He gives eternal life in himself. And one day, 
He will give everyone physical life again to stand before him in judgment. It is this forthcoming resurrection then now that Jesus expands on. So he establishes here who he is. He is life itself. He has the authority of these things. And now we see the supreme judgment that will one day take place in verses 28 and 29. First we see that there is coming a day of physical resurrection. Jesus says, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. There is a day of physical resurrection. And this is an incredible truth that Jesus gives. One, so amazing and so incredible, by the way. Did you notice the qualifying statement that he gave in verse 28? Do not marvel. That's an incredible thing for us to grasp. Because it is the truth that many in Jesus' day and in ours are going to have a hard time believing in our finite and limited minds and from our dependent temporal viewpoint that one day all who are dead will be made alive again. This is the promise of a physical bodily resurrection of all mankind. And this is presented by Jesus. If you'll notice, he says here, the hour is coming. He doesn't say, and now is, like he did before. This is only in the future tense. There is no fulfillment of this going on in our world today. We know that the souls of those who are dead still live on. We are told that those who have died and who knew the Lord as Savior are with him in heaven. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from your sin and as the source of your eternal life, to pass from this earth, though your physical body stays here, your soul, the the immaterial part of you, is in heaven with God, with Jesus. So again, it's not this you live and it's over and that's it. But you live somewhere forever. And just as sure as, as those who know Jesus Christ as Savior are in heaven with him, though they're physically not here, those who do not, those who do not trust in the Lord, and their, they, they and their souls are in hell in torment. We read in Luke chapter 16, verses 22 and 23, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You see, there is either already suffering or sanctuary being experienced by those who have passed away. But one day, there is a coming physical resurrection of all. And the point of that resurrection is is that we may stand before Jesus in final judgment. Now, As you read the scriptures, you'll find out that that not all of these resurrections that Jesus is talking about happen at one time. But that's not the point of what Jesus was saying here. The point of what Jesus is teaching here is, is to show us that he is God and he has the power of resurrection and the power of judgment and that there is a coming judgment. But later scriptures will reveal to us that there is a sequence of these things. That the believers of the church age, that age in which we live now, will be raised first. And then at the end of what we we commonly refer to as the tribulation, the Old Testament saints and those who are saved during that time of tribulation will be raised. 
And at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, those who have rejected Christ will also be raised and all will receive from God a body to stand before Christ in final judgment. And it is here that we come to the point we've driven to all morning, we see the two resurrections. That there is a resurrection to life and there is a resurrection, as Jesus says here, to condemnation. And Jesus makes it clear which is which. And this reality as it always does, demands our response. And we see that in this resurrection, there's a dichotomy in that resurrection. Because resurrection for all is guaranteed. Go back to what Jesus said here. The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. It doesn't matter if you were buried, lost at sea, cremated, or how long you've been dead. God will raise all, giving them a body to stand before him. This is a physical appearance before Jesus Christ, the only judge. And we will see that there are result, it results in two very different destinies. Look what Jesus says. He says that those who have done good will be raised to life. That is, raised to eternal life with God forever. And the body that they receive is a glorified body, one that will last for eternity, and that they will, in it they will enjoy the unbroken presence of God. On the other hand, there are those, Jesus says, whose deeds are evil, therefore they do not receive such a wonderful eternity, but instead will be condemned. They do not receive a glorified body, but will spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. And do not misunderstand Jesus' words here. He is not teaching a works-based salvation and therefore a works-earned eternity. You have to take the whole of Jesus' teachings and the things that he has said. The judgment of all will be based on works. Why? Because our works show us the root of of our hearts, and therefore the basis of eternal judgment. Who are those that Jesus has said, who are those who do good? The ones who do good are righteous. And the only way to be righteous, the only way to have righteousness on your account is through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness not of ourselves, but it is God's. It is that which is credited to our accounts. This is justification. And if this is the decision you have made, it results in the work of your life looking different than when you made this decision. Perhaps there are some of you in this room who you can think back on your life and you can think of the life you lived before you came to know God and the life you lived afterwards and you say, wow, that's two different things. Why? Because I decided to do good things all of a sudden? No, because God did a work in your heart and changed you. And it's not a life of perfection. We understand that in this life, we're still going to struggle with sin. But it, but it is a life of consistently following God. Scripture clearly teaches that our deeds, the things we do, reveal our hearts. The fruit of our lives communicates clearly where our trust is. And if we do good things, motivated by the change that God has wrought within us, that is the fruit of God's work of salvation. It means that though there is no perfection, there will consistently be a desire to live righteously and to live in submission to God to do so. This is the life that Jesus himself 
can only impart. He makes you alive unto himself that you may live to the glory of God. That is the whole point of this resurrection, that we may live to God's glory, that we may bring him the honor and the praise that he is due with our lives. By the same token, evil actions motivated from a wicked heart, these are the fruit of one who does not truly know God. We must ask this question, can a wicked person do good things? Well, sure, right? I mean, look around in in the world you live in. There are people who who aren't good people, right? Who are wicked people, who, who are sinners, but they do some good things, right? But are wicked people motivated to do these good things by God or by their own selfish and sinful motivations? Why do wicked people sometimes do good things to satiate their feelings, to get ahead in life, to get what they want, or other self-serving motives? And you have to understand that selfishness is not righteousness. It is wickedness. At the heart of wickedness is a dethroning of God and placing of myself in that position. And your works tell the story of your life. And, And those works are not always evident to everyone around you. Listen, many a person has played many a game with church or with with others, but there are no games to be played with God, my friend. God knows our hearts. God knows what is at the core of our being and our beliefs. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. In Luke 6.45, Jesus said, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And the only way there can be goodness in your heart is if you know the Savior. Because in us there dwells no good thing. The Lord of your life will show you the direction of your destiny. If you are the Lord of your life, if you are pursuing your own sinful cravings, your own selfish ambitions, your own personal pleasures and constant longings, then your end, my friend, is condemnation declared by Jesus. There is no way around that. But if Jesus Christ is your Lord, he has confessed in your salvation cry, your end is life eternal. So therefore, you are called to live in his righteousness. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, there is a calling on your life. And Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, and if you have never experienced the life-changing power of God, then that verse is an impossibility. You read that and you say, I don't really know how to do that. I don't really know how to, how to, how to all of a sudden do these things because all you and I know in the, de- in the deadness of our hearts is how to say yes to sin. It takes an incredible work of God. In our lives. It takes his grace 
and his mercy and his love. It takes his regeneration to make us alive in these things. And if you are alive in Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, then let us, not, let us make the choices to continue to walk with him, to draw closer to him, to follow him, to not use, our, 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 as he would write in Galatians, our liberty as, as, a, as an opportunity for the flesh, but by love serve one another. We are free to do these things. And recognize that one day, the end is coming. One day, the Lord is returning. One day, the judgment will be held. And one day, the resurrection will happen. And on that day, you and I will receive our final judgment. However, once you pass from this earth, whether, whether, God, whether Jesus returns or you die before, the opportunity to change that destination, the opportunity to place that faith in Jesus Christ disappears. Your response to God in this temporal life will determine your judgment you receive on that day. And so I urge you, if you have not done so, to place your faith in the Son of God. To commit your soul, your eternity to Him. To trust Him. To follow Him and find life eternal. Because Jesus owns all authority over life, I will one day stand before Him to receive eternal judgment. There is a coming day of resurrection. That is a promise from God. And though that day of physical bodily resurrection has not arrived yet, you can experience that same power of life from God today in your spiritual life. Jesus came to give life to the lifeless. And we must humbly come before him recognizing our inability to find life in ourselves. And instead, place our faith and trust in him to find eternal life and redemption from sin. And you know, there are a lot of responses and a lot of thoughts about Jesus and God and what he said. Maybe you've thought, hey, you know what? I can kind of help God along in these things. You know, maybe if I just meet God part of the way, you know, maybe I do enough works or I read enough of the Bible or I try to be a good person. You know, I believe in God. I believe in, in, that there is a God, and, but, but I still kind of want to trust in myself to get there. My friend, that's not true trust and dependence on God. That's still seeking your salvation in your own self. You and I have to come to God on his terms, not ours. Maybe you, you hear these things today and you respect it. And you say, hey, you know what? That's great. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that, I'm glad God said that, I'm glad Jesus said these things, but, you know, I, I, I agree to disagree. I'm going to do my own thing. First, let me tell you, one, I believe strongly in your freedom to, to walk away and say, I agree to disagree, okay? We can still be friends. But as your friend, I'm going to tell you this. Just because you choose to disagree doesn't make it any less true. There are a lot of things that we agree to disagree on, but it doesn't change the truth. If you, are, if, you, if you agree to walk away, you are turning your back on the only way to eternal life. Still, perhaps there are others who choose the route of rejection. You really don't want anything to do with God, 
Because you know what that means. You say, I, I know it. If I come to God, then I'm going to have to give up. And you fill whatever it is in that you think you're going to have to give up because, hey, listen, I enjoy that. I know God doesn't like that. And, I... and to you, I would say a couple of things. One, you might be right. If you come to Christ, you would have to give up some things that are sinful. Because that's the life that God calls us to in himself. But my question is this. Would you really sacrifice your eternal soul for temporal pleasure? Would you really give up that soul to fill some craving of your sinful heart? And my friend, God's grace is greater than that. He can give you satisfaction in himself and give you victory and a longing for himself greater than any sin in your life. Christian, as you look at this passage today, as you read these things and hear these things, I hope that this passage fills you with wonder and joy, peace and hope. This is the reality of your God. He has given you spiritual life and he's coming back someday to raise you to himself physically. What a glorious day that will be. And that should be the expectation for us as Christians. And as as such, it should inform the way we live, interact with others. I I, I wrote this down, and it made me chuckle this week, because I've heard this my entire life. Maybe you have too. This is something, this is one of those things that that preachers say, okay? If Christ were, were to come back today, would he find you as a faithful servant? You ever heard that before? Right? Okay. Why'd you chuckle? Because when I read that, I get the point of it, right? I've said it, I've heard it, I've benefited from it. But it's kind of like this, when Christ comes back, then he'll find what we're doing. Christian, we have to understand, Christ already knows what we're doing. He already knows if we're serving him or not. It's not a, well, let's make sure we do good things at the end, so when he comes back, that's what he sees us doing, right? It's not the idea of, you hear the screaming and yelling coming from the kids' room, and you walk in, and they hear you coming, and they you know, shine their little halos, and they're, they're nice and good. Christ already knows our hearts. Christ already knows if we live for him. He knows our actions, our sins, and our struggles. He knows if we're trusting in him for victory over these or not. So this should inform our lives and how we live for him. And then we must ask ourselves, Christians, what about those around us in our family, our neighborhoods, our community groups, and more who need to hear the message of the gospel. Are you content to go on living your life unbothered by those around you who need Jesus? So often, we are content. Why? Because if we're going to reach out, that means we're going to have to put ourselves out there. We're going to have to live our faith. We're, we're going to, we can't just coast through life. But if we should be so self-focused, we miss our greatest calling to go and make disciples. Jesus is the power of resurrection, and all will one day face him. And if you face him and do not know him, you will face, you will face him to receive your final condemnation. But if you trust him for salvation, you will face him for the judgment of your works in him that you may hopefully hear these words, well done good and faithful servant. And may this eternal truth make an impact on our present reality. And I would just say before we close in prayer today, 
And if you hear these things today, and God is doing something in your heart and your life, may I encourage you to respond. We're not going to give an invitation and have people come forward, but this is my invitation to you. That if God is doing something in your life, and you would like to talk more about these things, maybe you're here as a Christian today, and you, you, you think on these things, you meditate on these things, and you think, wow, there's some things that need to change. There's some things that I need to do different, and I'm not sure I can do that on my own. I think I need some help. I would love the opportunity to talk to you. I love the opportunity to, to work through these things with you through the scriptures. Or maybe you're here today, and you don't know for sure where you would spend eternity, and you have questions about that. You'd like to talk more about that. You'd like to understand what the scripture says about that. I'd be happy to sit down with you and have that conversation as well. I take you again, not my words, but what God says. I would just encourage you, if God is speaking to you, to respond to him in some way. And you don't, it doesn't have to be coming to me. That's not, I'm not the priest here, okay? But if you would like someone to talk to, I just want you to know I'm here. I'd be happy to talk to you about these things. But we, let's pray and ask God to use these things in our heart this week. Father, we thank you for the power of of resurrection that we anticipate in Jesus. And we thank you for the power of resurrection that is already available to us in Jesus. And we ask today that you would use your word in our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who hear this today who belong to you, that you... uh, you wouldn't let us rest in, in being content in who we are. But we would realize who you want us to be in you. That you are our identity. That you have called us to live for your glory. And you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. And we pray that you would convict our hearts of sin today. Lord, again, I pray for one who hears these things today, who has wrestled with eternity, who has struggled to wrap their minds around these things, or maybe they've just outright walked away from them, that you would continue to convict their hearts. You would continue to show them how much you love them and care for them, and that you long for them to follow you. Lord, we ask that you would have the freedom to continue to do your work in our heart even as we close the service today. We pray that you would be with us on the way home. You watch over and protect us and bring us back again tonight to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.